For me, it's always be learning, you know, be open. I think I've been doing this for so long. I have proof of concept of the kind of magic that I can create for the clients that I have. Um, but the world is always changing. People's needs are always changing. And um, there's always something to learn. People are innovating all over the place. So I think that to be humble and courageous and to continue to be open to learning. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Stacy Thal. And uh, Stacy grew up in a household where her father was uh, in the, or was a photographer in the film industry, um, and was an artist. And uh, mom loved to read books. I think she read a, a book a week or so. Um, so Stacy uh, grew up in the in high school. Uh, loved to write. Uh, went on to UC Berkeley or wanted to go into fi uh, film directing, uh, but not. Or, uh, but I think uh, later went into uh, film related studies. Um, worked at a studio as a, a screenwriter for a bit of time, had uh, some creative differences left, started uh, in the uh, writing in the, the world of marketing and advertising, did that until 2008 when the economy uh, went south. And then uh, after that, uh, went into some independent contracting for a few large companies, um, got a, a few layoffs over the period of time and uh, defaulted back to uh, working uh, as a, in a consulting gig for uh, job hunts. Um, again or got laid off in i think 2001 um found that a steady paycheck was a myth and wanted to do her own thing and started her own business and has been doing it ever since so with that much as an introduction welcome on the podcast stacy thanks so much devin thanks for having me i hope that i say something that helps someone out there absolutely so so i just packed a much longer journey into a much uh, a shorter period of time so why don't we uh, go back a, a little bit in time and tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in the household where your dad was a photographer in the film industry and your mom loved to read books yeah thank you so much you did a good uh, job of distilling my life into a, a big nugget there but i did i grew up in a house with my dad was a photographer um a still photographer in the whatever hollywood film industry and at some point he decided he didn't want to be a commercial photographer anymore and wanted to be an artist instead. And he discovered, we were in Los Angeles and he discovered Marin County and did a sort of dropout where he became Mr. Mom and my mom went back to work. But I did grow up in a household um, with this artist father that was all about images. We had images all over the house and big, huge coffee table books of Hieronymus Bosch and Salvador Dali and lots of photography books and things like that. And my mom was a voracious reader still to this day, like you mentioned, reads a book a week still. And she got me talking and writing and reading really early. And so my whole life was about, looking back now, I can put the, you know, connect the dots. But my whole life was about this marriage, their marriage and the marriage of, you know, words and images. Hmm. So, so you grow up in that atmosphere and it makes sense. Sounds like it was a great uh, childhood. Now you go through high school and go off to college. And I think you started wanting to kind of maybe at least uh, mimic or mirror the uh, or some of the upraising and uh, go into film industry. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, in high school, uh, I think there's kind of, this is an overgeneralization, of course, but there's kind of people that gravitate toward the math and people who gravitate toward the English, talking about here in America. And I gravitated toward, you know, English stuff. And I remember, you know, doing lots of extra credit work um, in order to build my resume to try to get off to college on my own because, uh, you know, there was, I came from a certain amount of after my dad gave up commercial photography. There's a certain amount of poverty in my youth, including some homelessness. Um, so I was on my own and started working when I was 12 years old, um, a, a little tiny hustler <laughs> making, making money for those uh, Chemin de Fer jeans. Um, those ditto, ditto jeans out there so I could keep up with the Joneses in Marin. And um, so I did some extra credit work so I could try to get scholarships and such um, and was able to hustle my way into UC Berkeley. And I didn't know what I was going to do or what I was going to be. Um, but film from my dad's past was always a huge passion in my home. Big, mm. huge movie going. I remember whatever for folks out there that know, I remember one of the first movies beyond the Disney movies that my parents took me like everyone else took me to see. Um, I also remember being in a drive-in and seeing John Cassavetti's films, you know, way too early with my parents. And um, so that was always kind of in my blood. We were, you know, Academy Award watchers and things like that. And, but when I got to Berkeley, um, hunting around for a passion, uh, there was no film department, but there were fantastic film classes in all sorts of different apart, uh, departments across UC Berkeley. So uh, Fellini in the Italian department and novel to film in the English department. And I took a documentary class. So I was able to do a kind of field major and feel my way through that. And my intent was uh, to be a film director. I remember, don't tell anyone, but I remember uh, using my student loan money to buy a video camera. And I started making films um, when I was at UC Berkeley, but, um, and through some whatever, youthful bravado and proximity and luck and all those things that happen, um, I ended up meeting somebody who ended up introducing me to Francis Coppola, who is stationed, I'm in Northern California, and who is stationed in, um, headquartered in San Francisco and in the Bay Area, making films from there. And so um, I talked my way in there and got my first bit of being paid to write for a living. That was his thought, is that he was... Um, grooming me to be a director, um, but through the writing track. And I had a facility for it, you know, from my upbringing. And that was my first entree into being paid to write a, a bit um, after college. So now I so see you go out and say, okay, going to go into the film industry, go out and, and get that, you know, the start to get the experience. Um, you know, so how long were you kind of working in the film industry and in that uh, position? Yeah. So I did that for a few years. Um, I was at that time, um, Coppola was trying to create a new studio system 2.0, where he would have this bench of writers and directors and cinematographers and things like that, like whatever, like back in the old days of Hollywood and Orson Welles model. Um, and so I wrote for him for a while under contract. And I also developed a television show that his wife, Eleanor Coppola, was working on. And I did the writing for that. And I shot that, the kind of pilot for that. Um, but it was a tough time in the world back then 
very narrow band for content back in those days, no streaming, pre-streaming, and a, a tough time for women in that industry as well. And being in the San Francisco Bay Area, I had to pay San Francisco style rent um, mm. and to keep myself afloat, having discovered that people can't write, but they have businesses. And I had a certain amount of whatever sense. Part of the way that I worked, you know, that I was able to pay my rent was by picking up writing work here and there as a copywriter. Mm. So now, so that was almost, it sounds like you, it wasn't necessarily, because I mean, that's at one point you kind of, I think, created or started to create your own business or do that more full time, but it was almost just a natural, hey, got to make ends meet, got to be able to pay the rent and this utilizes my skills. Is that about right? Or not putting yeah. words in your Yeah, all the things that I tried to do for a day job when I was trying to pursue my passion as a film director on the side, um, when I could, all those things I ended up trying to do kind of like low level things that weren't a lot of responsibility. And the next thing I know, somebody was handing me the keys and asking me to do their marketing for them. And I just had whatever, I had an innate facility for that. And I would say that my dad, you know, as a photographer and as an artist and my mom who went into administrative work at first, they were both freelancers before I knew what that word was. You know, they were just hustling, trying to make things work, um, you know, keep that roof over our heads. Um, so uh, I had that model as well. Um, and so I went to whatever Craigslist and started finding gigs for myself. Mm -hmm. And I had a job at a PR firm for a bit where I really learned that not just, you know, small businesses, but big businesses were bereft when it came to people that knew how to write and had a little bit of marketing sense. So I put the two together for me, you know, some common sense, started growing my experience. Then I had this innate ability to write stuff and to, to communicate. So um, that started to gel together for me. So now you say, okay, I'm, you know, found it's a good skill or figure out a way to at least, you know, pick up some gigs and otherwise uh, go about that. So now as you're going through that, you know, how long did you kind of or start to take on those marketing roles and copywriting and otherwise helping out the businesses? How long was, or did you or continue on that? Yeah, so I started to carve out a niche for myself in San Francisco, and I lucked out. There was a, a, a girl that I grew up with who was doing the same kind of thing in marketing, and we reunited through a kind of whatever, a high school reunion of some kind, and she was doing what I was doing. We just decided to merge together. She went out and got the business and I stayed home and did it. And so I was doing whatever the equivalent of remote work or virtual work, you know, for before that was a thing. Um, but I did that for about 10 years until the economy tanked last time in 2008. And I grew with her and without her, I grew a business that was really varied. I had clients like the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and Gavin Newsom, who was our mayor at the time and different arts organizations, because that was really a sweet spot for me. I, I understood, you know, that those people in that market, um, but I also did stuff for Oracle and I was in the midst of the whole Silicon Valley sprawl. And so I did a lot of work in the tech world as well. And so I had small clients, you know, passion clients and also bigger growing clients, but, and, you know, had some success as a single woman, I was able to buy a house in San Francisco, no small feat. Did that on my own, um, but when the economy tanked in 2008, I wanted to keep that roof over my head. So that was a huge turning point for me. No, it makes it makes perfect sense. So now you go go through that 2008. You know, economy tanks it, no fault of your own. Business going well up until then, and then you say, okay, this you know may not be the 
the position that works out or, you know, you have to find a way to support yourself and continue forward. So, you know, as you're, as you're doing that, um, where did you go from there? Kind of, how did you figure out where to shift or, or to how to adjust to, to, you know, to or make ends meet? Yeah. So the seat of my business at that time was real estate and retail, um, shopping center retail and real estate development. And that was like 2008. That was boo, big tank. Um, so I had done some independent contract work for walmart.com. That was the door opener. Walmart.com was headquartered here in the Bay Area. And they came to me gratefully. So it was like divine intervention during that time. They came to me, there was a job, Walmart Stores Inc. out of you know Bentonville, Arkansas headquarters was looking to create a brain trust in Silicon Valley to draw off of that talent to see after their proprietary brands and for the whole whatever global organization. They called me um, about that job and I was so, this doesn't sound, you know, unique these days, given where the pandemic has taken us into remote work land, many of us, um, but I was just bereft. I was so sad um, at the thought of not being able to wear my yoga clothes 24 hours a day and my flexible schedule and being able to, you know, take care of myself through rest and exercise and all those things that I was going to go back to the rigidity of, you know, a 40 plus hour a week job. Um, but I felt like, you know, it's the responsible thing that I had to do to keep this roof over my head that I'd worked so hard for. So I went in house and I cried and cried and cried until a couple of weeks later when those direct deposit checks started rolling in. <laughs> and, um, and so I got myself into the, you know, work my way up from a senior copywriter at that point, had to start had to, you know, bring my skills down a little bit in order to, you know, get that salary and wedge my way in. But quite quickly, I worked my way up to a creative director and brand director and, you know, floated around the top of brand storytelling in the volatile and dynamic world of Silicon Valley for the next dozen years. Um, in-house, you know, in-house at the top of brand storytelling and brand creative, like in internal agencies and for Walmart first and then Yahoo and then William Sonoma's Pottery Barn um, that came before Yahoo. Sorry. Uh, but in that crazy, crazy world, um, I was laid off five times in the last 10 years. And each time I would be laid off again, now used to that incredible direct deposit going into my account. It's like a holiday every two weeks and somebody paying my benefits and somebody kicking into my 401k and all those other perks. Um, I got laid off and would default back to this consulting work that I did, you know, with great success. And I always, it was more lucrative. It was more flexible, but I was really wanting that steady paycheck, especially given, you know, all of us have our own story, but given my story of coming from, you know, some poverty and stuff, it gave me that kind of security. Uh, so in between time to fund my job hunt, I would go back to consulting with pretty good success and work again with enterprise clients, but also oftentimes um, with startups, helping them. So now you say, okay, so you went, you know, stayed the stayed the uh, you know the quote-unquote normal normal course of 
working for corporations and you know it is a little bit enticing that you get the paycheck and you know there there is some benefits you don't have to worry about you know where the work's coming from other than if the work dries up you don't have to worry about managing taxes and a lot of the finances and other things but there's also i think when we talked a little bit before you know it kind of gives you the the false sense of security of a steady paycheck and you know it's kind of whether you're at a big corporation small corporation or working for yourself there's always a possibility that work will dry up work will continue on you'll get let go those layoffs there's you know or downsizing or anything else and so it sounds like kind of around uh 2021 you know as you're going through a layoff you decided that the myth of the steady paycheck wasn't you know wasn't we weren't going to buy into it anymore and decided to go your own direction is that about right or putting words in yeah your mouth? i mean it's it backed up a little bit from that in 2020 i had done almost five years with a proper global digital agency and we had a lot of glam clients a lot of google clients and linkedin and facebook and things like that so i was really doing the whatever downtown san francisco agency thing and felt like that was a great great learning experience wonderful folks and um you know, feather in my cap. Um, so true hybrid. So I'd done consulting, I did in-house brand storytelling there and marketing and advertising. Then I had agency work. Um, and, you know, this agency that I worked for was helping disrupted businesses and their digital transformation. And then agencies began to get disrupted themselves. And so I, I survived many a layoff in the agency world um, until I didn't. We lost a big, huge client and they decided to do a business pivot a bit and had to let go of this whole team that I was um, directing there as creative director. And that was January of 2020. So I found myself out of work then. I landed a fantastic job as a creative director for a well-funded fintech startup that's really mission-driven and fantastic. And a couple months later, and I took what I was about to start work and 24 hours before my 10 a.m. Monday morning orientation, they called me and rescinded due to this pandemic that we didn't know what the heck was going to happen yet. So, um, so I found myself suddenly I had turned off once again, I, you know, turned on the spigot of consulting work again in between that agency and this new job that I got and turned all that off, um, said no to two other jobs that I was offered and said yes all in with this incredible uh, fintech startup and then yeah they rescinded and so i found myself in this you know midst of this pandemic out on my own again mm. and um i did a bunch of consulting work gratefully i've made wonderful relationships created rapport and nurtured those relationships um for years and and because i've been in this world of silicon valley and been part of layoffs nothing personal but along with you know felt very personal but along with dozens and hundreds of people like we're experiencing now um i had people calling me you know about work which is great and i got called up um, by another creative director partner on the design side to help this connected fitness brand um, mm -hmm. make a splash in the world as a peloton competitor and so I helped do their uh, brand strategy. I had worked my way up again to creative director and some brand strategy. And so helped create this differentiating brand in this growing market. And enough so that they hired me um, in-house to be their fractional creative director, but still as consulting. And then um, 
we got you know captured because we had such success we uh captured the attention of a pioneering streamer in the fitness business and they acquired this business um that i helped create their brand strategy for and um then before their first earnings call, I was there for six months. And before their er first earnings call, they lopped everybody off at the top um, mm -hmm. to show better numbers on their bottom line. So I found myself out yet again. And I had only gone in-house to be um, with them full-time for about six months. So, yeah. So the next leg of my adventure was <laughs> I, I began to count the times, you know, that I had been laid off. And... Uh, realized that this, like you said, you know, this myth of the steady paycheck that I was every couple of years on average, I was getting laid off in that world. Um, I was afraid because I was then a homeowner to have the, uh, to have the ebb and flow of my own business, my own consultancy. Um, but again, it was, it was a myth, you know, I hadn't been in the steady, I hadn't really had a steady paycheck and it was so, um, debilitating, I would say, this ramping up constantly mm. that would happen where I would turn the machine off and get rid of LinkedIn premium and go all in and start cashing those paychecks and then have to ramp all that stuff up again. Um, always having had jobs that were 40 plus hours a week that didn't really leave a time for a side hustle that I could keep that drip, drip, drip going. No, makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's, they're said, hey, I'm going to finally go out on my own. And that, that is always kind of the hard place where you get in is you have the desire to go out on your own, but you also, by the time you do a full-time job to be able to devote the amount of time and effort needed, sometimes can be a bit overwhelming. And so so now you decide, okay, going to go out on my own, going to do all of that. Now give us an idea. How did it go? Where's it at today? Kind of, you yeah. know, I think it started a year, year and a half ago, two years ago, somewhere in there. Yeah, about a year ago when I was laid off again, yet again, <laughs> um, I cranked up the machine again. And I think more importantly, like so many of us during this pandemic, it was um, like a forced soul searching, like what really matters. I have parents who are of a certain age and um, they're not going to be around much longer. Wonderful, vibrant, fantastic people, but not going to be around much longer. And I had the opportunity, you know, when not punching a clock, whether it's virtual, you know, or remote or not, mm -hmm. um, I had the opportunity to visit them more. And I had a kind of professional existential crisis where like, who do I want to be? And how has this steady paycheck really served me? And just had this... Um, forced reflection on what really worked for me. And I realized that the, you know, flexibility that I have as a sole proprietor, um, as a consultant, really um, benefited me by creating a life, a day, a week a, that leads into a life of more um, flexibility to be able to pace myself um, and also choose the work that I do um, a bit, although I feel still desperate, like, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Saying yes to a lot of clients. Um, but that was really important to me. And um, and that's not, you know, really on offer with a full-time job. You know, there's a lot of still, even with remote work, there's a lot of FaceTime obligations. And to be able to be the master of my schedule was really important to me. So I made the decision um, last year for the first nine months of the year, I beat my head. I did contracting work to fund my and consulting work to fund my job hunt. I beat my head against the wall of trying to get a job for the first nine months. The first 
you know, and then I doubled my income every quarter last year. Mm. Um, but it wasn't until I made the decision, you know, on the brink of the third quarter of last year to go all in when there was just so many of my friends and former colleagues were being laid off in these mass layoffs at Facebook and Adobe and Microsoft and um, Twitter and all of them, everything that we're seeing in the news. And I just felt like reading the tea leaves and and really looking at my own life that I would I would rather be out on my own. So it's like officializing what I've been doing for years on and off, you know, um, and, and really making that solidifying that and really making it official and committing to it rather than dipping in and out, even though it's been present, you know, um, for the last, whatever, 25 years more. Oh, makes perfect sense. Sounds like it was a good decision and, uh, and a good direction to take it. So, well, now as we've kind of caught up to at least a, a bit of the present day of the journey, um, always a great time to transition to the two questions I always ask at the end of each episode. So we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what'd you learn from it? I think the worst business decision I ever made um, that felt like a good decision was taking work on in good faith without a written agreement. That came back to haunt me a couple of times lesson learned for sure. Um, so I did, you know, had the experience that many contractors, freelancers, sole proprietors, business owners have is where the conversations are going great and everything feels above board. And then I started work without an agreement because someone had an incredible deadline and I could help within that deadline. And then, you know, trouble, then trouble. Um, so I don't do that anymore. Learn lesson learned. Always get that contract up front, and it's it's you know can be uncomfortable, um, and it can take some time. But I think it's an important thing to do. No, and I definitely agree. And I think that sometimes you get caught up in the excitement of what the what it could be and what is the opportunity, and you know it sounds like it's a good deal, and it, it probably is. And a lot of times the intent is, and then as you get on. Maybe the funds weren't quite there as, as readily as they thought they would be or didn't turn out or they, you know, they went a different direction. And then all of a sudden you're caught in a place where, hey, I've done the work and not always uh, turns out that you get paid for the the hard work that you've done or it doesn't or it's not the same scope or the same direction or what you thought you had in mind. So I think that's a easy mistake to make, but a great one to learn from. Second question now that I always ask is if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you give them? I think for me, it's always be learning, you know, be open. I think I've been doing this for so long. I have proof of concept of the kind of magic that I can create for the clients that I have. Um, but the world is always changing. People's needs are always changing. And um, there's always something to learn. People are innovating all over the place. So I think that to be humble and courageous and to continue to be open to learning, whether that's I'm a voracious reader of Entrepreneur Magazine and Fast Company and um, whatever. Now my algorithm is serving me up stuff from all sorts of different um, resources, reliable resources. But I found always to be learning. And that includes going back to clients and um you know, this is something I got in the habit of doing during agency work is doing kind of retros, right? What worked, what didn't, what could we do better together? I think it forges relationships and it's a courageous thing to do because you might not hear all fantastic things, hopefully. Uh, but always, I think, always be open to, to learning and changing and evolving as you go on. Don't be too rigid in what you do. It's great to find a niche 
and then to continue to innovate just like we would for our clients. No, I think that's great. And I think, you know, the always learning mentality or helps you to one, stay ahead of the curve, come up with new ideas, figure out how to stay ahead of the competition, service other people. I mean, I think there's a lot of benefits that come along with that. And yet it does take a lot of extra work. If you're doing your own business, you're already doing a lot of things to add one more thing. And now I've got to always be learning, reading new books, listening to new you know things, listening to a podcast, talking with people. So it's one that you can often push aside, but I think it's a, a great uh, takeaway and a great piece of advice. Yeah, maybe you could schedule it, right? That's part of what I do too. Extra hint is that those are the things that get pushed off. So if you have the flexibility, the luxury of the flexibility of your own schedule, building those things in, I think consistency is key. No, I think that's a great, uh, great way. And I said, putting it in the schedule, forcing yourself to do it. And, you know, for example, the way I do a lot of the learning is I like to listen to podcasts and books on tape. When I go out running, that's almost always what I'm listening to. So I'm utilizing that time both to, you know, keep a good balance in life as well as to always be learning. So I think however you pick it in, make it consistent and, and put it in that schedule. So perfect. Well, as we are now, as we're wrapping up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Yeah, you can contact me through my website. It's my name, stacythal.com, S-T-A-C-Y-T as in Tom, H-A-L, stacythal.com. And um, would love to hear from anybody. If you're looking for help or you're looking to commiserate about your own experience, I'd love to hear from folks. Awesome. I definitely encourage uh, people to reach out, make a good connection, and if nothing else, a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Stacy, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to uh, be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to uh, click share, subscribe, and leave us a review because it really helps us to um, help and find even more startups and small businesses out there. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your startup, your small business, or with patents or trademarks, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Thank you again, Stacy, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin.